I'm Shane Ray, and this is a special edition of Central Indiana Today, or depending on how you look at it. Last week, we had a special edition, and this is our normal slot, but we don't have our nonprofit spotlight. This is kind of a car-slash-4th-of-July type of uh, special, if you will, because we're going to be talking with Mr. Bob Palma. He is a columnist for... Hemings Classic Cars magazine, and he lives around here. How about that? Also, I'm going to be talking with Lex June, and uh, he is here as part of the uh, Independence Day thing that I mentioned because he's not from these parts. He's from another country, and he was uh, kind enough to come in and talk to me about how he came to America and what he thinks of America now that he's here. So you stick around for this special edition of Central Indiana Today with me, Shane Ray, on 98.9 FM and WYRZ.org. Central Indiana Today. Shane Ray talks with the newsmakers in and around Hendricks County. And now your host, Shane Ray. In the studio with me, I have someone new to uh, our studio, actually. And it's nice to actually have somebody new. And we have a lot of old friends all the time. But uh, now, somebody brand new to to all our listeners and me uh, here in the studio. His name is Bob Palma. He is, did I say that right? Yep. Good enough. (laughs) Among other things, and we're going to get into a lot of it, I ran across him because we have a mutual friend in Eric Bell of Eric Bell Funeral Home in Pittsburgh, who is a big supporter here at the radio station. But Eric said, you need to meet Bob. He writes, uh, he's a columnist for uh, Hemings Classic Car. And after it, I, after we talked for a few seconds, it struck me. I was like, oh, yeah, I do know who this guy is. So, um, and he, the thing about it, uh, he is uh, lives right here in Brownsburg, right? That's correct. All right. Well, let's go back a little ways. Now, we were talking off mic, but uh, what brought you to Brownsburg and when? When? Graduated from Purdue in 1969, January of 69, in industrial arts education. And my first teaching job was at Tech High School in downtown Indianapolis for the spring semester of 1969. I got a job there teaching auto mechanics. And in the auto trades department was another fellow who's become a good friend, uh, Hal Clark, who lives in, in Brownsburg, lived at the time. He lives in Avon now. And um, we had a mutual interest in Studebakers. And from that, uh, at the time, I wasn't married or anything, and... Uh, House said, oh, come on out to Brownsburg and see my shop and my Studebakers, and we were both in our early 20s, and I came out here and kind of liked the area, and uh, Hal worked part-time for a fellow named Stanley Wolf at Wolf Body Shop. Anybody that's been around Brownsburg for a while may recognize Wolf Body Shop, and uh, became very good friends with him, and uh, bought a mobile home out with the old Lake of the Lanterns, and when I got married, my wife and I bought a house in Brownsburg in 1976. We've been here ever since. Now, uh, you know, you touched on something a little interesting. You're a big Studebaker fan. Not only that, you you have an extreme interest in Studebakers, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh Yep. All right, well, tell me about that. What I mean, is that uh, like... 
a lot of guys will say, oh, well, that's what, because my dad always had one or something like that. What made you like Studebaker so much? Well, my dad uh, was a Packard dealer in Paris, Illinois. And when Studebaker and Packard combined in October of 1954, uh, uh, why he took on the Studebaker franchise, went over the Studebaker dealer who was running out of money, and uh, became a combination Studebaker and Packard and Nash, which only lasted a couple of years before Packard went out of business. Mm-hmm. And I've always had an interest in cars. And Studebakers, are, they're a lot of fun. They're pretty easy to work on. Parts are readily available. And they aren't terribly expensive. And they had some very unique cars. And from there, uh, my interest gradually grew. And I've been the technical editor for the National Studebaker Drivers Club magazine, Turning Wheels, for about 40 years now, as a matter of fact. I, sometime in 83, I think. And uh, so developed into it. And I've got four 1964 Studebakers of my own. Uh, I think one of which you've seen, mm-hmm. Shane, out at uh, Danville's first Friday cruising. Mm-hmm. And uh, just grew from there. Yep. Now, in a position like that, I mean, having a magazine like that, has that brought you, um, uh, maybe brought you a connection to famous uh, collectors, uh, other car collectors, or racers, or celebrities, or anything like that? A few around the country, yes. I can't name anybody offhand. If I think of somebody, I will. But... Uh, it's a big club. There are over 10,000 members in the Studebaker wow. Drivers Club around the world. And I have a very good friend in Finland, as a matter of fact. And the car that you saw out at Danville first Friday, if it wasn't for my friend in Finland, I never would have that car. Because ironically, <laughs> ironically, um, it's a specific model I was looking for, a 1964 Wagoneer, which has a sliding roof. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for that model in white. And... My friend Pekka, his name is P-E-K-K-A, Pekka Pavelin, lives in Finland. And we were corresponding about something Studebaker. And Pekka said, oh, I just bought a 64 Wagoneer down in Texas. Hasn't been shipped here yet. And I said, what color is it? And he told me it was white. I said, Pekka, you're killing me. I'm, <laughs> I've got the other three Daytonas in white. I'm looking for a Wagoneer. And... Uh, a couple of days later, he called and said, well, things are getting funny with my job, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pick it up after all, and here's what I paid for it, and if you want it, I'll tell the guy to give it to you. And so my friend Hal Clark that I mentioned earlier, in, uh, at the end of January 19, uh, no, the end of January 2003, we went down to uh, 150 miles south of Dallas and picked it up. And so through that contact in Finland, I got the last of my uh, four cars I was looking for in the same color. Wow. So that, that's, the, that's what you run into in, in uh, uh, friends, in car clubs. And any guy that's in a car club knows that it's contacts, contacts, contacts. Right. And uh, these are how you uncover things that you'd like to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you said you used to teach auto mechanics. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. And so did you uh, get training for that? Well, kind of self-trained, really. Yeah. I mean, you, you learn a lot. I worked in gas stations. Yeah. All, all the it's way back th- when you could do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah you wouldn't be able to. That's right. You know, a full-service station that did everything, tune-ups and alignments and everything. And all the time I was at Purdue, uh, summers and vacations and winters and everything, anytime I'd come home, the guy that ran the station wanted me to come work on the weekends and everything. And so you learn a lot there, and then they have a formal course of study at Purdue to become an industrial arts teacher. And I took that, that formal course and lasted about three and a half years teaching at Tech High School in downtown Indianapolis. 
liked it very much, but me and the department head didn't get along too well. Mm. And so I got a job working for the Howard W. Sams Company on industrial arts textbooks, writing for them mm. and rewriting textbooks. And uh, that went on for a couple of years before I turned my hobby into my business and bought and sold collector cars for most of my life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, uh, on top of all of that, like I said in the, uh, in the beginning, uh, you are a columnist for the Hemings Classic Car Magazine. Now, how That's did that correct. come about? Uh, it came about because the editor of Hemings Classic Car at the time was a fellow named Richard Lentinello. And... Uh, Richard had a column in his magazine in Hemings Classic Car as the editor. He could not understand the popularity of 1957 Chevrolets, and I thought I did. So I wrote him a fairly lengthy letter uh, why the 1957 Chevrolet is an American icon, Mm -hmm. icon of the 50s, if you will. I'm not a big Chevy fan, but it is an icon of the 50s. And I guess he was so impressed with that letter that out of the clear blue— in March of, uh, March of 2011, I got an email from him, and he said, uh, I've, you know, we've had some correspondence, and et cetera, and how would you like to become famous and have a column, a regular column every third month in Hemings Classic Car? At the time, the magazine was only about American automobiles. Mm-hmm. So he said, um, the only rules are your topic has got to be an American car, and stay away from personalities because we have somebody else that writes about personalities. So you're, you're to write about cars and markets and marketing and models and this kind of thing. And ironically, um, the December 2011 issue of Hemings Classic Car was the 100th anniversary of Chevrolet issue. Mm-hmm. And so he told me, um, go on ahead and take that letter you wrote me and shorten it up to 4,000 characters. <laughs> And that'll be your first column. So on December 11, I had a column that said, why the 57 Chevy is an American icon. I listed 10 reasons why. And apparently he liked it. And that was that launched every third month thereafter. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, is that probably one of the biggest challenges, shortening to so many characters? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because um, he's right. Anything over one page long, people lose interest, and this attention spans are pretty short nowadays. <laughs> and uh, so if I've got an idea for a column, I'll usually prepare what I want to prepare, and it'll wind up being seven or 8,000 characters, and I have to go back and edit, 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 get it down to 4,000 characters. And... You're right. That's that's can be a limitation, right? We're talking with uh, Bob Palma of uh, the Studebaker Drivers Club, as well as the uh, uh, Hemmings Classic Car. He's a columnist for him. Hemmings Classic Car. I mean, a little tongue-tied there. Now let's talk about um, when it comes to picking a subject. Of course, your heart is in Studebaker. You probably want to write about those every time, don't you? Not necessarily. I, I like all pretty much all domestic makes of cars, a few foreign cars, but mostly domestic makes. And, uh, you know, my own collection of eight cars, only four of them are Studebakers. I've got a 73 Mustang convertible, a 71 Plymouth Barracuda convertible, a 1956 Packard Clipper hardtop, in 1972 Buick LeSabre convertible. Mm. So I, yeah, I've got an interest in quite a few of them. So uh, 
No, ideas just come to mind. You know, just you know, walk around keeping your ears open and uh, say, yeah, that, I could turn that into a column. So I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Now, you're, this is, even though, you know, as we, we have talked and a lot of the listeners know from uh, when we do a live remote or something like that, I have a 1956 Chevrolet. And uh, that's probably the one I'm going to stick with now, but I've had several before that. Uh, yes. Some Chevrolet, some Ford. I'm just one of those guys. A good car is a good car. That's it, correct. It doesn't have to be a Chevrolet or something. There, sure. But there are those hard-nosed guys who Mopar only or Ford <laughs> only or whatever. Mopar or no par, as they say. Right? <laughs> yeah. Those people just drive me up the wall at car shows. Do they you? <laughs> oh, they can. Uh, the fact is that everybody has made some lousy cars through the years, mm-hmm. and everybody's made some good cars. Now, I know your 1956 Chevy 210 two-door. Mm-hmm. I've seen it around town. Yeah. Uh, those were very good cars for the era. They were good cars. Yeah. And the market rewarded them. In 1956, one of every four cars sold in the United States was a Chevrolet. Yeah. Chevrolet but- had uh, 25% of the market by themselves. Today, GM is lucky to have 17% of the market for the entirety of General Motors. Right. And uh, if that doesn't testify to losing the ball in the weeds somewhere along the way, I don't know what does. (laughs) That's for sure. Do you, uh, you know, in in the magazine, there are sections where readers can uh, reply or give their comments or something like that. Do you get a chance, do you see some that are saying, oh, hey, Bob's calm about this was terrible or was great or uh, <laughs> I agree with Bob on this or whatever. <laughs> do you see those? Uh, yes. they Of course, with they've got three regular columnists and lots of articles. So I'd say that maybe once every six issues, Someone will have. I've never really had anybody take take issue with me. I take that back. I'll tell you in a minute. But um, uh, for the most part, people say I liked the column. I liked the idea. In uh, nineteen, <clears throat> excuse me, in two thousand nine was the fiftieth anniversary of the institute, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. Mm. They wanted to prove that. Uh, Safety had increased dramatically in the last 50 years, which it has, of sure, course. Yeah. The, the, rate, the rates of survival for the passengers are wonderful nowadays compared to what they were. Okay. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. So they went out and they bought a very nice, I saw the car for sale. They bought a very nice 1959 Chevrolet Bel Air, you know, the Batwing mm-hmm. fins. Mm-hmm. A very nice car. It was an original car, mostly original paint. I had a chance to look the car over before they took it. They crashed it intentionally into a 2009 Malibu Mm -hmm. to prove how the people in the 59 would get killed and how the people in the Malibu were going to survive. I took exception to that doing that, them doing that. Sure. And I wrote a column in Hemings that said, was this necessary? Mm -hmm. And one guy uh, wrote in and and said, oh, you favor death on the highway and a whole bunch of stuff. Well, I wrote him a fairly passionate personal letter, and uh, he came around. He, he thanked me for my letter and the attention. He said, I see what you mean. Mm. Because my premise was anybody that doesn't realize that today's cars are much safer than they were 50 years ago, if you don't realize that, destroying a very nice collector car isn't going to prove anything. Right. Your mind is still made up. Yeah. And so, and there's a few guys that, you know, like my 56 Packard is an absolute boat. 
and they think that, oh boy, you'd really survive if you ran into a late model car. Well, that's right. not really true. Sure, that's right. In those older cars, you absorb the impact rather yeah. than the car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So. And I, I occasionally get someone who will say that in my car, in the oh, 56 yeah. Chevy. They say, oh, oh yeah. that's safer than these others. Well, and I'm like, I don't not, really no, think not so. Really. <laughs> All you have to do is look at the, the point. In the center of the steering column on, on your 56 Chevy, yeah. you know, the horn ring has got a nice big point right at the center of your chest all the time. And people say, I'd rather have that pointing at me than a nice airbag that's going to absorb the impact. <laughs> well, I know what you mean, though. I, t- I, do, I do see that now and then. Now, um, if folks want to, well, you probably, like you said, we, we met at the cruise in. Do you find yourself going to a lot of car shows? I mean, is that... A- as many as you can. There's there's car shows all over the place yeah. all summer long. Um, we're doing an interview here toward the end of June, June 18th, Saturday, this past Saturday. I can think of four collector car events that I know of that were right here in Hendricks County last Saturday. Mm-hmm. And that's just in Hendricks County. Yeah. All summer long, you've got a choice of three or four things within a 100-mile radius yeah. of central Indiana. And it's tough to decide where to go. Uh, one thing I liked last Sunday was the huge uh, Lions Club Father's Day show in Noblesville. Mm. And I took my 72 Buick up there and, and uh, had over 300 cars in the Noblesville Forest Park. And it's always a very nice show. There's lots of trees. The Lions Club does a wonderful job yeah. and uh, thoroughly enjoyed the day. And even dropped, lost the keys to my Buick, and someone was kind enough to turn him into the DJ. Wow. Which was very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Save me having to come home and get another set of keys with somebody else. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Hemmings is also known for um, uh, something else, which is keeping up with the auction, uh, oh, yes. the auction, the market, uh, right. as far as the collector cars. Right. And mm-hmm. I have found myself, as I get older, especially buying parts, mm-hmm. when I was looking for my own Chevy, sure. uh, doing that now. There was a time when I didn't understand or care anything about that. Trends and all the things that go on. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find an interest in the, the auction market or the collector car market itself? Oh, the, the auctions have become, it's either a boon or bane, according to what hobbyist you're talking to. Right. Uh, I enjoy them. You have to keep them at an arm's length. You realize it's as much a show of any, as, as anything is. Mm-hmm. And you'll get guys bidding there. And it's always fun to watch the guys in their 70s with gray hair that have got their... Uh, <coughs> 30-year-old trophy girlfriend <laughs> with them, right. and particularly if they get in a bidding war with somebody else, and you know they're not going to be showed up in front of her, right. so they're going to pay another $100,000 for a car that's not worth what they're paying for it, right. and she gives them a big kiss. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch, yeah. you know, and uh, <laughs> I did an article in one of my Hemings Classic Car columns last year, having been to the Mecham Auction in Indianapolis, which I always go to. Um, reasons to go to the auction other than to buy something. And it was pretty well received. People enjoyed reading that that article. But, uh, yeah, auctions can be a lot of fun as long as you keep, keep your... Keep it in perspective. Yeah, yeah keep it in perspective. <laughs> a couple of years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a fellow from New Jersey, and he had looked at a 1960 Studebaker Lark convertible that was going to be at the Hemmings Meekum sale. And he contacted me and said, could he pay me to meet him at the car beforehand, inspect the car, and tell him what I thought of it. And it was a beautiful car. It only had 9,000 actual miles on a 1960 model. Wow. And I looked it over carefully, and I said, this is probably the best one in the country. And I wasn't, I wasn't pulling his leg. It right. probably was. And uh, 
when it came time to bid, uh, he was sitting in the front row and I was right next to him. He just kept his hand in the air until he owned the thing. <laughs> and it, it disappeared in New Jersey, and I haven't seen it since, but mm-hmm. it was a real treat to see it. So if, if there's something that you want, mm-hmm. and there it is, and you've got the money, uh, as long as you keep your wits about you, why, it's a good place to shop. Yeah. You can't take the money with you. You might as well spend it while that's, you're here. Huh? That's right. Yeah, that's it. You know, so you bet. <laughs> now, one other thing uh, that, man, with the, I guess within the last 10 years, uh, maybe not as much as it was, but uh, the reality car shows, though, you know, where they fix up an old car and then sell it at auction or something right, like that. Right. Do you, have you ever you have interest in those? Uh, you mean the idea of just, just uh, watching them? Do you, do you oh. like, I don't want to miss this episode of whatever. Oh, uh, well, the car shows on TV where they restore something. Right, and, and, right. Flip and, them or whatever. Yeah, yeah. those those are kind of, uh, they don't interest me too much yeah. because, you know, they managed to get a car restored in two weeks. Right. And they're mad at each other. They're throwing tools at each other. A lot of drama involved. Right, and right. I watch those from time to time, but they're a little, little turn off. Yeah. You know, if, if you're a real hobbyist who likes to get in there and do it, you know. I watch them work on the car, and then I skip past all the drama and everything, right. the yeah. interviews yeah. and yeah. stuff. That's, that's right. Say, you know what? How is he doing that? You that's know, right. I've got to right. do yeah. that to mine. I wish I, but as far as the <laughs> interviews and things, I get past them. So. <laughs> Was your car all done when you bought it? You're 56? It, it had been sitting for a while. Okay. And uh, the the guy drove it to the town car show once a year, and otherwise it stayed in okay. in the garage and had really gone down, and he had had health issues. Oh, boy. Yeah. And so when I got it, I was able to drive it home from Colfax, Indiana, okay. and uh, to Pittsburgh, where okay. I live, but uh, I had to do a lot after that and he admitted he used to he he used it to street race right out of high school wow so wow. i had to tone it down to where it was a little more sure. streetable you sure, know sure, you and i'm still doing that i feel like i mean it's got that lumpy cam in there <laughs> oh, and does it? Yeah. always adjusting something you know oh, that's but cute. i've that's just cute. about got it where i want it now oh, that's nice yeah so got you a, bought it after you moved here then oh yes okay yeah right right yeah yeah so and uh it's uh i just got a four-speed automatic put in it and nice. so it's a little more you know nicer to sure. drive you know sure. So sure. now i'm working on cruise control all right yeah. but uh that's going to be a headache but i the, the thing is i try to do it all myself as much as possible and that's that's a lot of fun yeah. it really is some things i have to farm out but uh sure but you know um it's uh it's been a lot of fun and my wife fortunately uh her only requirement was keep that bench seat in there don't put buckets in so I can sit next to you. And I said, it's oh, a deal. that's cool. Yeah, you bet. That's nice, yeah. <laughs> old school. Yeah, old school, exactly. All right, Bob Palma, he is uh, with the, uh, well, multiple things. The uh, Hemings Classic Car Columnist and also the Studebaker Drivers Club. Now, if folks want more information uh, about the, the club or anything concerning Studebakers, what do they need to do? Well, if you go online, and you uh, key in the Studebaker National Museum in South Bend. And they've got a beautiful website. Uh, the museum is very active. This show, we're probably going to air on July the 9th. You mm-hmm. say 6th. The 6th, 6th. right? Mm-hmm. Coming up on July the 9th, Saturday, July 9th, is the 4th Annual Concours de Elegance at Kopchaholm in South Bend at the Oliver Mansion. It is a wonderful, wonderful event. Very high class. Mm. Uh, they will have, you know, million dollar classics on display. Wow. And the public is invited. 
And if anybody wants to go up to South Bend on Saturday, July 9th, they will enjoy that show. It's put on by the Studebaker National Museum because the Studebaker National Museum is adjacent to the Oliver Mansion in South Bend, which is now a uh, state historic place. So, uh, yeah, uh, that would be your best thing. Or you could um, search Studebaker Drivers Club on the Internet, and we have a very good website. Okay. That uh, uh, gives you all the information you want. The largest repository of Studebaker parts in the world happens to be down in Little Hope, Indiana, uh, south of us here. Hmm. And uh, uh, they have warehouses full of Studebaker parts. It's amazing what's still available. A fellow like you that has a 56 Chevy, almost all that stuff has been reproduced. Right. And if you've got a title and a VIN plate, you can pretty much build a new 56 Chevy with a checkbook. Exactly. That's not necessarily true with a Studebaker (laughs) or a lot of other makes. Sure. But uh, uh, it's a luxury you have that uh, some of the other people don't. But that's part of the challenge is digging up stuff, as you know. Yep, exactly. Uh, By the way, uh, we did mention uh, before we started the interview that uh, you recently did an article with one of our supporters here. The um, the Republican newspaper yes on uh, it well in Mayberry yep. also known as Danville yep. everyone knows about Aunt oh, yeah. B but uh, she was a big Studebaker fan right yes Aunt B was played by uh, Francis Bavier mm-hmm. and Francis Bavier drove nothing but Studebakers and when she found out that they were going to quit making Studebakers in 1966 three months after they quit making them uh, she bought her last new Studebaker, a 1966 Daytona sports sedan. And she owned that until the time of her death. And she died in uh, Silo, North Carolina on, uh, in 1989. Mm-hmm. And the car went to auction with her estate. And some Studebaker guys bought it in 1990. And yes, in the current issue of the Republican, that would be the issue of uh, Thursday, Witness. That would be Thursday the 23rd, right? Twenty. Yesterday uh, be 23rd. Okay, Thursday the 23rd. Yeah. That issue, uh, there's a nice article in there I wrote for the Republican on Aunt B's last Studebaker. And uh, so it's interesting because we have the original retail sale card on file in South Bend of the museum that proves that uh, here's the car that she bought and her address at the time, and it says purchaser's occupation. And it says actress <laughs> right on the thing. It's in, it's in the Republican in the, today's copy. Okay, excellent. All right, well, I believe that covers everything I was going to ask you, at least for this episode. And uh, sure. we sure do appreciate you being our guest. And, of course, uh, if, you have any, uh, if you have any questions or you want to get more involved in the Studebaker clubs or anything like that, uh, and you missed any of the information, you can g- g- give me a call here at the radio station, 317-852-1610. If I don't know the answer, I'll get you in touch with Bob, and he'll help you out as soon as possible, right? Great fun. No, yeah. Thanks Bob. a lot, Shane. Been <laughs> fun. And now on to our guest, who was not a native of America, but he's here to tell his story about coming to America. It's only right here on Central Indiana Today, as I talk with... Race car driver Lex June. I have sort of a new guest in our studio. He's not new to the studio, but he's new to this show and new to me. Now, he did an interview with Alan Kiger recently on uh, Sights and Sounds, but uh, he mostly talked about racing, and we're going to talk a little bit about racing. 
but uh, we'll get a more into his personal story this time. His name is Lex June. Maybe you've heard of him. How is Lex today? I'm doing great. Living the dream. Thank you. Living the dream, exactly. That's what we're going to talk about. Hey, uh, tell me a little bit uh, uh, about growing. Well, first off, we should let everyone know a little bit more about yourself. You're also known as the Flying Dutchman, um, top fuel racer. Is that a Correct. good way to say it? Yeah, that's what it is. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, and uh, we'll get in. We'll we'll talk about how you got into becoming, uh, you know, the the getting into the position that you are and the profession that you're in, in just a little bit. But uh, you are not. In case you couldn't tell from his voice, he's not from these parts. He's originally from uh, a different world, I guess you could say. Uh, the Netherlands, is that right? That's correct, yeah. I'm uh, born and raised in Amsterdam. A lot of people know where Amsterdam is. So, uh, yep, that's where uh, I'm coming from. Now, growing up in Amsterdam, uh, let's talk about that. You um, uh, Tell me a little bit about your, your father. You know, you were talking just a little bit about him off of, off of the mic here a few minutes ago. Tell me about growing up in your family. Well, you know, it's uh, what I remember, uh, my early days growing up, I was the first of uh, four children, and uh, my dad owned a, a company, he, he, he was building houses and uh, maintaining them, and he, he had a struggle, he, uh, he went uh, bankrupt, I think, because one of, uh, he had a really big project, a really uh, big thing built, and uh, the the company that should pay him uh, went uh, bankrupt and that's why he got bankrupt so it was not easy in the beginning and uh, but i probably got his his feel for doing things he he never quit he he kept going and uh, i lived a really really good life with my uh, siblings and uh, we were living in a part of amsterdam that was uh, more the they, they called it more or less the gold uh, coast it uh, was a lot of uh, it was high end yeah and um, it was a big park uh, in front of our house it, it was yeah it was awesome so that's why I grew up and uh, I had a really uh, yeah happy life yeah, yeah. Uh, you know it was yeah I, I could do what I wanted to do I it was illegal to fish in the park but that's what we did right and then <laughs> the, <laughs> the police came and we started running and uh, it, it was always a lot of fun and um, yeah, uh, although my parents at a certain point were, uh, were uh, in a divorce and that was, yeah, it was not that nice. It was a pretty bad divorce. Still, you know, I lived a great life. I, I just found my way through it and uh, I get going. And yeah, uh, my, my, my dad previous uh, owned a, a study baker and that's probably where my initial love from American cars came from. Uh, it was an amazing car, especially back then, you know. I, I grew up in, in the 60s, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, in the Netherlands, there were not a lot of American cars, but I, I loved them because of their luxury, and uh, it was an automatic, and it had power <laughs> windows, and it power steering, stuff like that, you know. It's for a normal car that was really not there. So, uh, 
Yeah, that's that's how I grew up. It was it was really good. Now, as far as your exposure to American cars and American culture, uh, where did you get that? Was it through the movies? Was it through magazines? Uh, things like that? Movies? Yeah, absolutely. Movies. You know, uh, American Graffiti was one of the things that I I don't know how many times I've seen it, but that's where my real love for America came from. It was not only American cars because everything that had to do with America, I thought was really cool. <laughs> And, uh, of course, we had a lot of uh, um, uh, broadcasting programs on television, American series, oh. which uh, also gave me an insight about what was going on here. Yeah. Uh, at least that's what I thought what was going on here, but <laughs> what do you know? Um, growing up, um, 16, 17, 18 years old, I had uh, a friend that... Uh, he, he was uh, he had a subs- subscription from the Hot Rod the the magazine mm-hmm. so that's why I really came into American Cars and I found uh, the performance and everything that was going on there and he uh, had a national dragster so that's why I was exposed to drag racing and that really you know uh, making more power out of an engine that was really something that that got me and uh, yeah that's and it's still here, you know. I, I never let it go. I, I like to raise the bar. And what, what better than to have a V8 and start working on it and get more performance out of it. It's, it's endless. Right. It's all about uh, just squeezing whatever you think you can uh, get out of that uh, raw material, I guess you could say, that's right in front of you. And, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. That still is, is triggering me that you can – you got a couple of pieces of uh, aluminum and metal and – in this scenario, what I'm doing right now, you can make over 10,000 horsepower out of a V8. I think it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, you've developed that uh, that fire, if you will, for American cars, American culture, going fast. How do you make the transition from Amsterdam to America? Well, th- that's a long story. Um, th- th- the thing is, growing up and getting older, I, you know, you know, people in America, I, I went, uh, a lot of times you we went on vacation to America for a couple of weeks. I uh, I bought my first cars here. I, the first car I bought here was a 55 Chevy, and then I bought a 57, and uh, I brought them over to the Netherlands. I, I fixed them, and I sold them again. It was, at a certain point, I felt a little bit bad to take all those nice, beautiful cars <laughs> over out of America to Europe, you know, because they should stay here <laughs> uh, but that's that's how things went but the thing in that is I, w- I always would love to to live here but it was not possible because what a lot of people don't understand or don't know probably is that it's not like when you're living say in Amsterdam and you want to you would love to move to America you can just uh, buy you a, an airplane ticket and there you go because you cannot do that because the American government won't allow you. Right. The the most amount of time you can live here at, in in one state is three months, and then you need to go back. You 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 got a, a card in your passport, and you need to leave the country again before that expires. Mm. So, uh, and and to really live here, it's there needs to be something that the American government will will say, yeah, okay, you're good to come here. Right. And nine out of ten, it's it's you need to bring a lot of money. Uh, and you need to start a business and you need to start hiring American people and, and all of that. So, and I didn't have the millions to do that. So what do you do? Yeah, you had a lottery, which I don't really believe in because uh, that's not my 
uh, luck you know i never <laughs> win a lottery so yeah so what we always did is we we went to uh, the us for holidays and there the came a moment that i was able to uh, to come here and and to bring my race car and to do uh, some races here uh, which that only lit the fire more because you know that was awesome so um <clears throat> until a certain point i was really successful in in europe in in racing and uh, my wife and i started talking to an organization in the netherlands that was basically helping people to make the transition to america so we talked with them and said what can you do for us and they said well we probably can get you a work visa i said no, i'm not really interested in work visa because i i'm not I don't have the insurance that I can stay. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, need, I knew a couple of people that went to America and started a business here. Uh, they started a camping uh, somewhere in Texas. And that went really well. And then they started transitioning to uh, selling parts, uh, American cars and other, whatever people wanted from America to Europe. So they started moving product. And that became really successful. They basically stopped with the camping. And what happened then is uh, the American government said, well, you know what? You have to leave. Well, why? Well, we, we got a pretty successful business. We are paying our taxes. We are doing everything. Yeah, but you're not having camping anymore. You need to go. Mm. And with that in mind, I didn't want to go on a work visa. Yeah. So, and then we got an attorney. She said, well, let me take a look at this. And then she came back and she said, well, I found something that might work and can get you a green card. I said, Let, let's talk about it yeah. she said well you're you're really successful in, in racing and I might be able to do it so long story short because it was a really, <laughs> real long story uh, she uh, because of the achievements in racing uh, we got a green card uh, America we had to go to the American embassy in Amsterdam we had an interview there and they told us okay um, if you are able to hire American uh, people uh, for your racing, and uh, I had to give them a business plan, they liked that. We got a green card, and uh, nine years ago we moved to uh, Brownsburg. Now, so so you came straight to Brownsburg? Yeah, we came straight to Brownsburg. Wow. Yeah. Now, what made you choose Brownsburg over, uh, say, Pomona? Well, that's like that's that? that's also a good question because when we found out we were okay to go. Uh, we had to do a lot of stuff in a really short amount of time because we had to move uh, within a couple of months. I had a pretty big business over there, uh, auto repair shop. We were selling uh, American cars. We were uh, we had a repair shop for American cars because there are not a lot of companies in or businesses in 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 especially in the Netherlands that even want to work on American cars or are able to work on American cars. So we had to sell everything and move, but. Um, yeah, I told my wife Gerda, I said, well, I, I would like to, to go to California because I like California. It's, the weather is beautiful. And mm -hmm. uh, you know what? She said, well, it's better to go to Brownsburg because that's where drag racing is basically situated. Mm -hmm. Most teams are, uh, are working from Brownsburg. So if you want to go, then we better go to Brownsburg and start there, which of course makes sense. So there sure. you go. So, um, yeah, so we went to... Uh, couple of months before we moved we went to uh, to america and we uh, we uh, found a place here to live in brownsburg and uh, we made an appointment and uh, that's where we went now um i've been watching a youtube channel of some canadians 
who went to the Hot Rod Power Tour, and they had never been to these parts of America before, and they were just fascinated by uh, everything that they saw. They said, you know, this is gorgeous being Atlanta and Nashville and Memphis and places like that. They just thought it was wonderful. You remember your first impressions on seeing uh, American cities and, and looking around and... Uh, and uh, getting to see that stuff for the first time? Yes, and, and, and was really, you know, the, the beauty of, of America, one of the beauties, because there are a lot of them, but the really cool thing about it is that you can find anything in America you're looking for. If you want to go to the snow, you can, you, you know, you can go to the snow. If you want to go to the beach, you can go to the beach. If you want to go to the forest, you can go to the... Everything is here. Yeah. That's one of the first things that I never forget, that... You know, where you want to go, it's here. And coming from Europe, that's not, you know, coming from the Netherlands, it's flat. There is only in far south, there is one hill and we are all proud of it. It's, it's flat and, and there is, you know, yeah, you can go to the, you can go to the, to the beach. But, you know, that's it. There's really, and it's, there is a summer and a winter and, uh, okay, uh, you have to deal with it. Here, if you... If you don't like the winter, you, you, you buy or rent an RV and <laughs> you go to Florida or you go to California and, you know, uh, but you can also go to Seattle. I've been to Seattle. It's beautiful over there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's every part of America has its own character. It had its, uh, has its own uh, beauty. It's, it's. At this moment, I'm driving a truck because, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm just still building my race team. And uh, uh, why driving a truck? Just because I want to see America. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Every time I go places, it's like, it's awesome. There's always something that really attracts my attention. And so much diversity. And I, what, I, what I see around me is that a lot of Americans don't even have a passport, don't go mm -hmm. outside the country. They don't realize what kind of country this is. This is really a beautiful country. Yeah. It's not only the best country in the world and the baddest country in the world <laughs> because of all that, that Americans achieved uh, in the past, but it's, it's, it's also a beautiful country. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had talked, I remember in high school, when I was in school, we had a an exchange student from, I think, Sweden. And, you know, she had seen movies and magazines, and all she'd ever seen was Los Angeles, New York, uh, Chicago. And then she came to our little town in Kentucky, and she was severely disappointed. She said, it's beautiful, but... Uh. So, uh, it's, uh, you know... And, and I guess Brownsburg, you know, you might, I bet, I guess you, I can't picture anyone sitting in a, a country somewhere saying, I need to go to Brownsburg, Indiana. But I think here in this country, and maybe you can elaborate on this, it's what you make it. it well, you, you can do anything. Absolutely. But that's, that's with everything. Uh, I think one of the, the great things about Brownsburg, and that's the reason why a lot of race teams are situated here, it's, it's really crossroads of America, as they call it, because... You know, uh, a lot of, uh, we do, or at least that's what we're going to do, but uh, NHRA, drag racing, which basically is is the is what we are doing, um, a lot of the races, a lot of the places we go to can be reached within, within a day of travel. Mm -hmm. That's why, basically, we are here. 
so that's where it starts. But at the same time, you know, uh, Gerd and I, uh, we love the weather because you got here summers, you got the winters, and, you know, you got everything. Now, to be honest, I'm not really fond about winters. I'm not a winter <laughs> guy, but Gerda loves it, so what do you do? And, you know, no matter what, you have to deal with it. And that's what you just said, you deal with it. So, you know, seeing what's going on here in the winter, the, the, we came here in 2013. Well, we, we lifted because it was one of the baddest winters, I believe, that was here. We had a, I never forget it, we had a code red. We were not allowed to go outside on the street only mm -hmm. to walk the dog which was hardly impossible because there was so much snow but we were not allowed to go to our work so yeah you learn fast what was going on but at the same time it's got something special because you, you know you see people with with, with plows and, and and everybody's helping <laughs> each other and mm -hmm. it has it has something that's that's pretty special so uh, like you said it's w what you make out of it but uh, yeah we like it here well, that's great. Uh, now, how often, if ever, do you get to go back to uh, Amsterdam? Yeah. Well, to be honest, I went back one time mm -hmm. and, and the, uh, the, because uh, my son uh, got married and I needed to go there. But I went just for one day. Uh, I landed in the morning at 6 o'clock and I left at uh, 9 o'clock in the evening again. Mm. Uh, that's it. And... Um, uh, you know, my, my, my life is here, yeah. my house is here, and I know what's over there. And to be honest, when I, I, I came there and I rented the car and I was start driving, I think, it looks a lot smaller than what was in my mind, but it's more because this here is a lot bigger and you get used to that. Yeah, It's, uh, it's one of those things. I, I really love the Netherlands, don't get me wrong, but America is my, uh, my, my home place, and, and, and that's the same for, for Gerda. We never... We'll go back to the Netherlands again to live there. This is where we live and where we will stay. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, racing and how that's treating you. Uh, there's, uh, you know, the Flying Dutchman. There's a lot of um, uh, competition that causes, you know, you have to travel if you if you want to advance in this business and in, in racing and drag racing. And uh, do you see yourself uh, ever slowing down with that? No. No, I. Uh, <clears throat> you love it, don't you? Yeah, uh, I don't know what it is. It's uh, it's just a passion, probably. Um, I do. I'm doing this for over forty years, and when I started back in the Netherlands, there was not really any drag racing there, so I was one of the pioneers. And uh, I, I never forget. My friend said, "Well, let's go to Santa Pot in England. That's a pretty famous drag race uh, strip uh, in, in Europe." Uh, because we want to watch the races. I said, uh, no. Uh, I said, why not? Uh, well, you know, I, I will go, but if I go, I will bring my race car because I want to race over there. Mm -hmm. And that's how it always went, you know. I went first time to Centipot, I brought my car. I was the first Dutchman that ever brought a, a, a car to England. It's the same Sweden. I was the first one in Sweden. So I was always the first one, and, um, and I always wanted to go faster. And... Um, so I always, yeah, you know, especially we 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 got we also got a, a pretty big uh, motorbike uh, uh, club over there, and and I always admired those guys because they always built their their parts themselves, and that's why I really got okay. I I knew if you want to do this, you need to be inventful and you need to do a lot yourself, mm. and and that was especially for me. I I couldn't 
ask nobody how to do it because there was nobody there because I always was one step ahead of what was going on over there. Yeah. Now, back in the days, you, if you want to pick up a phone and call somebody, it was really expensive. So and you had no internet, nothing. It, it was all... So I, I had a national director and there was an, an, an ad in there from Elston Chassis and there was a picture there. I said, so that's how a chassis looks like. So from that picture, I built my own chassis. I, I built everything myself. And um, so it was always a lot of fun. And the end of the day, yeah, I ended up in, 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 in top fuel and I became a, an, an FIA European champ- champion, which I'm really proud of. Yeah. We had to go to uh, Monaco to pick up the, the trophy and, and anything else. Um, but my problem is I'm always, I'm raising the bar. I always want to go one step further. I'm, right. I'm not satisfied. Yeah, this is fine. It's the same with, you know, if you do 300 miles an hour, then people say, whoa, that's fast. Yeah, but it's not fast enough. It's it not 305. Faster. No, it can't go faster, right? <laughs> and then when you hit 305, yeah, you need 310 yeah, or 310. Yeah. That's one of the reasons. That's what I love about drag racing. It's it's a short amount of time, but the the the, the scoreboard always tells you uh, if you did a good job as a tuner, if the car goes faster, you know, okay. But, you know, and then you're looking at the data, you say, okay, here and here we can achieve something and make it even faster. So it's always uh, in there. And coming to America, you know, in Europe, I basically had won it all, seen it all, set the records, and I was basically done. I, you know, it's, you need to have something, you need to have a fire to do this because it takes takes a lot of energy and uh, it takes a lot of from you to get to keep this doing so and i realized going to america that was the ultimate and it's going to be a fight because over here it's it's really it's a professional sport Mm. most a lot of teams spend between four and six million a year on one car so there you are but yeah just an old race car and basically no money no contacts i i have no network here when i came here so you need to start building all of that to find a way to get in there so those things are not easy and i'm still not there but to be honest we're getting there we just are uh, we just did a race in bristol last weekend and uh, well we first round we run against the the champ from last year and uh i i should have beat him i just lost it on a on a small hole shot which Mm. I still don't like, but that's one of the things that that's happening because it's so tight racing, yeah. and I'm just not. Uh, you know, I, this was my third race this year, and they already racing. Uh, I think this was their eight or nine. So I need to get back into it. But we are getting there. You know, the performance is 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 coming, and yeah, people told me uh, even on television. Well, we did not see that one coming, <laughs> because yeah, we keep building and and we keep working our way through it and. I'm just done when we are on top of the list. And, you know, even if there will be a moment I'm not racing in the car anymore, but then we will have other people in the car that, that and maybe another car. I hope to have two or three cars out there at the end of the day. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Lex June Racing will, will be here and it will be here for uh, as long as I'm As long here. as you're here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Now, if folks want to know what's going on with Lex June Racing, what do they need to follow your Facebook page or what do they need to do? Yeah, well, Facebook is, is a good place to go because we always basically on a daily basis, we update them. You got Lex June, you got Lex June Racing. Uh, we got a website, LexJuneRacing.com. So there are all kind of things. If you want to follow us, then you can uh, 
take on and uh, see what we are doing. All right, Lex June, he is the top fuel flying Dutchman, as they say, and uh, we certainly do thank you for being our guest today. Thank you. You've been listening to Central Indiana Today with your host, Shane Ray. 